I, as Christians, must not permit our loyalty to be divided. Our motto must never be God and, but always God only. Welcome to The Word Unleashed with Tom Pennington. Tom is pastor-teacher at Countryside Bible Church in Southlake, Texas. Hello, I'm Bill Wright, and Tom is continuing his current series with part seven of Tear Down Every Idol. We've been looking at how idolatry, a present and real threat to believers, impacts how and whom you worship. So far, Tom has looked at the history and practices of idolatry as well as some of the various forms in which it takes hold today. You've learned that not only is idolatry an outward issue, it takes root in the heart. Well, today, Tom will continue in his study of the Word and present the biblical response to idolatry. You'll learn how important it is to have a full knowledge of idolatry before you can really understand true worship. Let's join our teacher to discover more from God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We come to the end of our study of the issue of idolatry. We looked at seven different forms of idolatry as they're laid out in the Scripture. We spent most of our time looking at the last of those seven forms and the ones that I think we are most tempted to follow. That seventh form of idolatry that we looked at is this, giving any human desire... Every one of those words is important, giving any human desire precedence over God's word and God's will. When you and I take any desire that's a part of our hearts and it becomes more important to us than obeying God, than following his will, that has become in our life an idol. We looked at length at Colossians chapter 3, coming to the heart of that passage, which is verse 5 where Paul lists a series of sins that you and I are to put off, and he says, including covetousness, which is idolatry. To covet is to commit idolatry. Covetousness is simply a strong desire, either for what you don't have, or craving more of something than you have or than you ought to have. It is a craving of the heart. You can covet or crave people, for example, usually with the ultimate goals being either sexual fulfillment or a meaningful relationship, but you can crave a person. You can crave material things. We call that materialism, or as Jesus said, it's like worshiping mammon, worshiping wealth. You can also crave or covet, and this is key, specific circumstances, You see, the potential circumstances in our lives that can become idolatrous are almost endless. Essentially, anything you want badly enough, whatever it is, can become an idol. Perhaps, for example, you have a strong desire for personal comfort. I think that's one of the most common idols in our country. Personal comfort for ease, for security, for control. Many people have the idol of a Christian family. They want a Christian family so badly that they're willing to disobey God to get it. Perhaps 
You're disappointed with your Christian husband or your Christian wife. They don't measure up. And so you're willing to make having a Christian husband like you want or a Christian wife like you want an idol that causes you not to obey God even in that relationship as you're supposed to. Perhaps you crave children or health or physical beauty or a kind of lifestyle that you've seen and that excites you. Perhaps possessions is what you crave. A home or a different one in a different neighborhood or financial prosperity or perhaps a particular position, a status symbol, a particular career or job, recognition, and on and on the list goes. Anything you can desire can become an idol. And understand this, this is key. If in fact it has become an idol in your life, it is highly unlikely that you recognize it. Even as I read that list, you may be sitting there saying, well, check, check, check. No, I don't have any of those. I mean, yeah, I have those desires, but they're not idolatrous. Because our hearts are deceitful. They lie to us about our idols. That's why we have to pray with David as he prays at the end of Psalm 139, search me, O God, and know my heart. And see if there's some way in me, what? That causes you pain. How can we recognize if our desires have become something more than legitimate desires and have in fact grown into full-fledged idols in our hearts? Well, we answered that question in some detail last time, but let me summarize it for you like this. Ask yourself these two questions. Number one, what are you willing to sin to get? What desire are you willing to sin to satisfy? And secondly, what desire will you sin because you don't get? Whatever your answer to those questions may be, you have identified the idol or idols in your own life. Because in the end, anything that displaces God, anything that becomes more important to you than his word and his will has become idolatrous. Now, this is a serious thing. In fact, the New Testament gives us a very serious warning that although genuine Christians can be tempted by idolatry and in fact do give in to idolatry, we're all testimony to that, listen carefully. Those whose lives are characterized by one of these forms of idolatry, who live to satisfy their idolatrous desires, these people will not inherit the kingdom of God. There are a number of passages that make this point. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. Paul writes, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Don't let your heart be deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor the covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Now look at that list. There are two kinds of idolaters there. The word idolaters, the first word probably refers to idolaters more like we think of normally. The other six forms, if you will, of idolatry. But then he includes the word covetous, which we learned last time from Colossians chapter 3 is idolatry. Those whose lives are characterized by idolatry of any form, including covetousness, feeding their desires, will not inherit the kingdom of God. 
This is a serious thing. Paul makes the same point over in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 5. For this you know with certainty. You don't have to guess about this. This you know with certainty, that no immoral or impure person or covetous man who is an idolater has any, excuse me, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. So you understand how serious this is. As Christians, we must not allow ourselves to be swayed into idolatry. You see, in a very real sense, when God saved us, on that day when you came to faith in Christ, you renounced all other gods and you committed yourself in absolute loyalty to the true God and to his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. You remember even in the new covenant, back in Ezekiel, the new covenant that we're part of, God says, I will cleanse you from all your idols. That's part of the work of regeneration. When God makes a heart new, he cleanses us from our idolatry. Or to put it in the language of the New Testament, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 9, you remember Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, or the Thessalonians rather, there in Thessalonica, and he said to them, when you came to faith in Jesus Christ, you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Because of that, you and I as Christians must not permit our loyalty to be divided. There must be no syncretism. Our motto must never be God and, but always God only. But you and I know, because we know our hearts, that we have allowed desires within our hearts to become idolatrous, haven't we? So how do we respond? We're not characterized by idolatry if we're in Christ, but we still have idolatry in our hearts. How do we deal with it? Well, if you've allowed a desire to grow in your heart and to displace God, to become an idol, what steps should you take? Well, this morning, I want us to look briefly at a biblical response to idolatry. You see, Scripture demands that we take our idolatry seriously, and it outlines at least four responses we must make to tear down the idols of our hearts. If you're serious about dealing with your own idolatry, here is how you do it. The first response, the first biblical response to idolatry is get rid of everything connected to your idolatry. Get rid of everything connected to your idolatry. There are a number of passages that make this point in the Old Testament as God prepares his people for entering the promised land. Turn back to Numbers, Numbers chapter 33. And in Numbers 33, we learn in verse 50 that the people of Israel are done with their 40 years of wilderness wandering. And now they are on the verge of entering the promised land. Numbers 33:50. the Lord spoke to Moses in the plains of Moab by the Jordan opposite Jericho, and this is what he said. Speak to the sons of Israel and say to them, when you cross over the Jordan into the land of the Canaan, you shall drive out all the inhabitants of the land from before you and destroy all their figured stones, destroy all their molten images, and demolish all their high places." then you shall take possession. If you turn over just a few pages to Deuteronomy chapter 7, still there on the plains of Moab outside of Jericho, in Deuteronomy 7 and verse 5, Moses gives this same instruction again, but thus you shall do to them, you shall tear down their altars, smash their sacred pillars, hew down their asherim, and burn their graven images with fire. You turn over to chapter 12, verse 3, you see this same warning 
You shall tear down their altars and smash their sacred pillars and burn their asherim with fire, and you shall cut down the engraved images of their gods and obliterate their name from that place. Now, why? Why is it so important to demolish all of these idolatrous images? Well, in the context of each of those passages, the warning is very clear. It's because of the potential influence that that will have on the people of God. There is a powerful lesson for us here. Now, remember for a moment that most of the time, those images, those idols, were merely representatives or reminders of the actual deity. In other words, that piece of wood for the most part, wasn't thought of as the God, but merely as a mechanism through which to worship the God. Most of the gods were thought of in human images, human terms. And so that image was a facilitator of their worship of the false God. Whatever facilitates our personal idolatry, whatever it is, cannot be merely ignored. It cannot be put in a closet. It cannot merely be kept under lock and key. It must be destroyed. We must get it out of our lives. This idea isn't just in the Old Testament. There's a clear New Testament example of it as well. Turn over to Acts chapter 19. In Acts chapter 19, you remember Paul ministered in Ephesus. And in Ephesus, there was a, there was a group of people who came to faith in Christ who had an interesting background. Look down at verse 19. Let's go back to verse 18, rather. Many also of those who had believed, this is Acts 19, 18, many also of those who had believed kept coming, confessing and disclosing their practices. And many of those who practiced magic brought their books together and began burning them in the sight of everyone. And they counted up the price of them and found it 50,000 pieces of silver. Now what's going on here? Here you have new Christians who recognize that they have in their possession, in their homes, parts of their idolatrous worship before Christ. And they bring these books of magic, their various forms the ancient mystery religions took in ancient Ephesus, but they bring it together in all of its forms. They make a large bonfire and they burn it. Now, don't miss the significance of this. Luke wants us to see what this costs them. You notice the end of verse 19 the price of them was 50,000 pieces of silver, probably a reference to the Greek drachma. A Greek drachma was the equivalent of a day's wage. These people in Ephesus burned a small fortune in books, 50,000 days' work gone, up in smoke. That's just how important it was for them to get rid of those things that connected them to the idolatry that was a part of their old life. Jesus expresses the same concept in somewhat different language in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. He tells us, you've heard, this is verse 27 of Matthew 5, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you, for it's better for you to lose one of the parts of your body than for your whole body to go to hell. Now, Jesus here is not encouraging self-mutilation. That doesn't solve the problem of the heart. Instead, what Jesus is saying is this. We must be willing to take radical steps to deal with our sin. 
radical steps to the point, as it were, figuratively speaking, of ripping out an eye or cutting off a hand. That includes the desires of our heart that have become idolatrous. We must take whatever steps possible to deal with that sin. Now let me ask you a question. What do you have in your possession that promotes and encourages your idolatry, whatever form it takes? What do you have that promotes and encourages your idolatry? You need to get rid of it. You need to get rid of your television or your internet connection because you're using it to satisfy the idol of sexual sin. Maybe there's a relationship that you're pursuing that has become more important to you than obeying Christ. Maybe there are, ladies, books at home that paint unrealistic porch pictures of marriage and have created an idol in your heart rather than loving and ministering to your husband, you've created an idol. Throw them out. Maybe your problem is materialism and wealth. That has become your idol. Are you living in a house or driving a car that you know you really can't afford? That may be a sign that things have become an idol and you need to get rid of them. Or maybe you have great financial resources, but you look around your home and your garage and your closets and you see sinful extravagance. If it facilitates your idolatry, then it may need to go. Or maybe you need to determine to be especially generous, as 1 Timothy 6 urges those who are rich in this world to be. If your idol is some substance, then get rid of your drug paraphernalia. Dump your stash of drugs and alcohol. You see, you and I must ask ourselves, what is it in our closets and in our cars and in our offices and in our homes that encourages and promotes our idolatry? And we must rip it from our lives. You say, well, I need my internet connection. Jesus said, if your eye causes you to sin, get rid of it. It's a lot less trouble to get something other than an internet connection. You get the point. Get rid of everything connected to your idolatry. Don't tolerate it in your life because it will only provide the opportunity. We're good at that, aren't we? We sort of leave ourselves and out. God, I'm repentant. I don't want to come back to this idol in my heart. But then the thing that facilitates it is sitting over on the shelf or in the closet or wherever. Get rid of everything connected to your idolatry. There's a second biblical response to idolatry that's related to the first but is distinct from it. Number two, avoid, avoid anything that draws you back to your idolatrous desire. Not only do you get rid of the stuff out of your life, but then you avoid anything from that time forward that would draw you back into that idolatrous desire. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, in fact, turn there with me, Deuteronomy chapter 7, again, Moses on the plains of Moab telling Israel how to deal with the idolatry they're going to face. He says in verse 25, the graven images of their gods you are to burn with fire. You shall not covet the silver or the gold that is on them, nor take it for yourselves, or you will be ensnared by it, for it is an abomination to the Lord your God. You shall not bring an abomination into your house, and like it come under the ban. You shall utterly detest it, you shall utterly abhor it, for it is something banned. Now before he dealt with the actual images themselves, those we are to smash. But there may be someone who says, look, we need to get rid of that idol. I understand people were worshiping that, but look at the gold and the precious metal on that idol. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, that idol is nothing. I'm not going to worship that idol. I'm just going to take the silver and the gold. You know what God says? Even that could suck you into that idolatry. Stay away from it. Have nothing to do with it. 
The lesson here is that you and I are to abstain from all those things, to avoid all those things that could draw us into idolatry. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul in the New Testament tells the Corinthians who came out of idolatry the same basic point. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 14, he says, My beloved, flee, run from idolatry. And then he goes on to talk about the problem. Verse 20, or excuse me, uh, verse 19. What do I mean then, that a thing sacrificed to idols is anything, or that an idol is anything? No. But I say that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God. And I do not want you to become sharers in demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? You see, here's what was happening. These people who were a part of that Corinthian culture had been saved out of that idolatry, and now they were tempted to rejoin their friends in going to the celebrations at the temple. They were saying to themselves, well, it's no problem. I know that idol's nothing. I know there's no God there. I worship and serve the true God. I'm just going to go back and have a party with my friends. And Paul says, don't even think about it. Don't even think about going back into that temple and enjoying that celebration. Run from that which would draw you back into that idolatry. What does this look like for you? Well, it may mean that you need to stay away from some person who encourages you to satisfy your craving. You know, the kind of people in your office who say things like, why do you stay with her? Why do you put up with him? You have a right to be happy. Or, here, have another drink. Or, you deserve better. Or, hey, take a look at this. It might be a job that provides too much anonymity and too much opportunity to worship your idol. You may need to change jobs. You may even need to change careers. It might be certain circumstances you need to avoid. For all of us, there are certain times and certain circumstances when we're all most likely to sin. Do whatever you have to do to avoid those circumstances, to avoid anything that would draw you in. Ask yourself this basic question. Who encourages me to pursue my idolatrous desire? What encourages me to pursue my idolatrous desire? And what circumstances encourage me to pursue my idolatrous desire? And whatever the answers are, create a plan to run, to flee, to stay away from those things at all cost. A third biblical response to idolatry is don't associate with those who put other things before the Lord. Don't associate with those who put other things before the Lord. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, Deuteronomy chapter 7, Moses makes this warning very clear to the people of Israel. Deuteronomy 7 verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land where you're entering to possess it, he clears away these seven nations that are greater and stronger than you. Verse 2, when he delivers them before you, you defeat them. You shall utterly destroy them. We're talking now not about the idols, but about the people in this case. You shall make no covenant with them. You shall show no favor to them. Furthermore, you shall not intermarry with them. You shall not give your daughters to their sons, nor you take their daughters for your sons. Why? For they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. You know what this passage is alluding to? This passage and dozens of others that I could take you to, they are describing the influence that idolaters have on the people of God. You see, God has established this world so that you have the power to influence others, and they in turn have the power to influence you. And we have to be constantly aware of the influence that others can bring into our lives. 
Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5. In 1 Corinthians 5, Paul deals with this very issue of the influence, particularly when it's in the church, connected to the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 5, you remember the situation here is that the Corinthian church was tolerating someone who was living in incest. And in fact, according to verse 6, they were even boasting about it. That is, they were boasting perhaps about their tolerance, about their wide-heartedness to accept this person who had chosen a different lifestyle. And he says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump of dough? That's Tom Pennington here on The Word Unleashed with part seven of his current series titled, Tear Down Every Idol. Tom will have part eight for you on our next program, and we hope you'll join us then. Well, it's our prayer that you'll be enriched by the expository teaching of God's Word here on The Word Unleashed. We'd love to hear your story and how God is enriching you in your walk with Christ through this ministry. Write to us, won't you? Our address is listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Again, that's listeners at thewordunleashed.org. Or you can call us at 1-877-577-WORD. And remember to connect with us on social at The Word Unleashed. You know, The Word Unleashed is made possible because of the prayers and financial gifts of individuals like you. Please consider partnering with us. You can find out how to do that by visiting thewordunleashed.org. That's thewordunleashed.org. And now for Tom Pennington and the entire team, I'm Bill Wright. Thanks for listening to The Word Unleashed, exalting God's glory, explaining God's truth.